2: Welcome to the Road to Our Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper, Tim Heaney with you on this Friday heading into week 11 of the season. We've got a Thursday Night Recap. Panthers winning a close game over the Saints. We've got some injuries to talk about. Uh, implied scores kind of worked into this episode as well. And we'll talk about some players that we like on DraftKings as well. Uh, Tim, first and foremost, how's it going for you on this Friday? Oh, it's going all right. How are you? Hanging in there. You know, Happy it's Friday. It's been, uh, been a long week. I came down with a cold Sunday, and I'm still kind of trying to shake it. So it's been—it's one of those things where if you have a sore throat or like sinus trouble, and your job is to talk a lot, it's not a good mix. It just makes you feel worse after you do your job. So fortunately, I'm on the mend. Unfortunately, I didn't get to drink as much beer as I would have liked last weekend. It kind of backed off on Saturday. I did try some stuff on Friday night. There was a, an almanac tap takeover. Uh, at a like a Belgian French brasserie nearby, and uh, I had a couple good beers. I, I tried the Dynamo Donut Barrel Noir, which is a, a <laughs> double stout barrel aged. I, I thought it would be even better than it was. It was it was good. My expectations were just too high. Uh, they also had a double IPA. Never say never. I liked that actually better than I liked the uh, the barrel aged stout which is pretty rare i mean i like ipas and double ipas but usually the barrel age stuff is at the top of my list
1: yeah um it, it really depends i mean obviously the ipa market's gone insane the last five or so years just in the, you know and the the different types that they're making now the double the double can be you know just as potent as as some of those darker belgians i think and i mean i didn't get to have as much but i think you sounds like you kind of made up for the both of us <laughs> with that one
2: I went, went with quality over quantity, yeah. i guess in this case so We'll see what happens. If I'm feeling better Saturday or Sunday, I'll get back into the game, get a few more recommendations uh, for next week. Did you come across anything good last weekend?
1: Uh, just really, I only had one solid one. Um, actually introduced the, the girlfriend who's a big coffee fan to uh, Smith Speedway Stout, a very classic of mine. Uh, one of the first beers I ever had when I moved to Cal- moved out to California. Very good. Uh, I think it was 10 or 12 percent alcohol, so... You know, it was a good uh, good one beer type of night, I guess. You know, you don't really have to go crazy when you have one of those.
2: Yeah, that I've I found that the AleSmith Speedway stuff, I, I, the stout, I've seen that available. I want to say like at Costco. Like Costco actually has mm-hmm. some uh, some decent brews they get in, in in the bomber section, and I've seen that one pop up there before. So that might actually have pretty good distribution now, as opposed to some of the other beers we've talked about. and uh, I've had a couple of questions on Twitter about it. I mean, it's it's hit and miss, right? I, I haven't seen Almanac stuff here at all before. It just popped up locally i don't think it was more than a one-off sort of thing i don't know where you could even get it i, I know it's from san francisco so california no problem maybe the west coast but it's hit and miss with all these beers we talked about hopefully you guys can track them down uh, regardless of, of where you live at some point um let's start diving into the thursday night game though i mean the panthers had a pretty big lead in this game the saints made it interesting in the fourth quarter uh, and my dad actually called me during the game he said Sean Payton was reminding him of Mike McCarthy in that coming out of the game uh coming out in half in the second half when the game was already like 20 to 3 favoring the Panthers the Saints were still running the ball a lot and it just seemed really bizarre that they were so committed to the run but last night Tim Hightower was better than pretty much any version of Tim Hightower we've seen all season
1: yeah i mean I see that in both ways. I do think that you, I agree with you in the fact that Peyton's stubbornness can kind of get in the way sometimes of adjusting to the situation. But on the other hand, I think that this, the game script was actually kind of weird. It was a kind of a good uh, going against the grain for New, uh, New Orleans to run a lot because the Panthers were having very light fronts against them. Obviously, they were obviously playing, you know, with with, with two deep, you know, cover two type uh, formations throughout the game. They were playing, you know, prevent defense at that point. So you figure, you know, why not call a couple that 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 can maybe escape through the front like that. And it actually worked for a little bit with Hightower. Uh, obviously with Ingram not in the game, he was the best they had. And, you know, I wouldn't say this is obviously Hightower being a guy that they could ride because, oh, look, he's running so well tonight. I think it was just more a situational, oh, let's see if Hightower can sneak a couple. And he broke, you know, a big one of 27 yards at least. So, I, you know, I, I want to say it was maybe he was being smart about, you know, running on a light defense like that. But I, I think I'm with you more so in this case that, oh, we're just going to keep running the ball just for the sake of running it.
2: Yeah, to, for the purpose of balance, I think, is what a lot of coaches will say, and I I, I don't always agree with it, especially when you have the weapons New Orleans has in the passing game. Uh, Cam Newton didn't really do much in this matchup, and it, it should have been a layup. I mean, the short week is is always tricky because some players don't respond really well to the quick turnaround, understandably so. Uh, I think the only TD pass last night went to Ted Ginn, so you're you're kind of disappointed if you're a Benjamin owner or a Greg Olson owner. Uh, Jonathan Stewart got in the end zone, and if he hadn't done that, Tim, it would have been a brutally disappointing showing against the soft New Orleans run defense.
1: Yeah, I, I think the fact that the, the struggles of Newton and Stewart do kind of exemplify how poor the Panthers' offensive line has been this year, and you know that the, the tackle spots have just been a, a weakness all year. And, 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 but it, but it seems like you know the Saints. We keep forgetting the Saints do have two really good playmakers on the. Well, I'll say one really good playmaker in Cameron Jordan. Uh, on, on the defensive line, and Nick fairly surprisingly had a really good game last night. So he stopped Stewart a couple times behind the line, and I think that was just more so Carolina really not still not being able to protect Cam Newton at all very much.
2: Yeah, that's part of it, too. I mean, I think the, the Panthers' offensive line uh, has had a couple issues, and, and that's been something that maybe has been overlooked uh, with regard to what Cam has done this year. Now, as far as injuries for the Panthers go, Luke Keekley left this game, with a suspected concussion, but it seemed like it was something worse than that. I mean, not that concussions are, are not bad, but I, the way he was breathing as he was carted off the field made me wonder if, in addition to the concussion, he'd suffered some sort of rib, chest injury, something with one of his lungs, uh, but apparently just uh, another concussion for Keekley, who missed three games last year with a concussion. So perhaps it was just the uh, emotional aspect of knowing that he's going to have to miss some significant time as a result of another concussion.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I you hate to speculate on what happens with that, but maybe you're right. It was just kind of a heat of the moment type of thing where his body just kind of went haywire a little bit, you know, going like like you said with that extra trauma involved with that, and uh, you know, if they lose Kiechle for any amount of time. Defense has had some shaky spots. They've been be a little better lately, but without Keekley, obviously, you know, arguably the league's best defensive player, that's going to be a challenge that they're going to have to overcome.
2: It's a lot of tackles up for grabs. Keekley (laughs) gets the ball on what seems like every play. And and the Mm -hmm. downside of that is when you're that much more involved than anybody else, you absorb a lot more contact than everybody else. It puts you at more risk for injury. Uh, Drew Brees finished with 285 through the air, two TDs. He did have one pick, 35 or 44. Uh, I mentioned the running game before. Hightower, 12 carries, 69 yards, 5.8 yards per carry. Mark Ingram, 7 for 28. He left with a a concussion of his own, so his status heading into Week 12 is uh, to be determined. And I think if if Ingram hadn't gotten hurt, that workload split wouldn't look quite like it does this morning.
1: No, I mean, I think Ingram did look a little bit crisper running. Obviously, we've seen the last couple of weeks they've kind of flipped that Hightower script of Ingram actually, you know, reminding Sean Payton who he actually is, you know, much more than a decent running back and much more than a tandem running back. Uh, But obviously, Hightower did make the most of that when it came to the points. He also caught eight passes. So that, that that was basically a good safety valve effort for him tonight. Obviously, passing downs, over Hightower usually does th- his best damage there, and that would probably be the case this time around if, if Ingram has to miss time. So, and behind Hightower, if without Ingram, looks really really shaky as a running back pitcher. It's really hard to kind of gauge that. Maybe he'll get more you know random John Coon touchdowns, which obviously you've become accustomed to in your lifetime as a football fan.
2: Yes, I've uh, <laughs> I've, I've seen a lot of John Coon TDs that shouldn't have happened. I appreciate what fullbacks do. Uh, protecting quarterbacks, opening up holes for running backs, but I do not appreciate what they do when they get that reward from their coach and get a chance to plunge into the end zone and take points away from my running backs. Uh, As far as the pass catchers go for the Saints, uh, Michael Thomas 5 for 68 on 5 targets. Hightower caught 8 passes for 57 yards on 9 targets. Uh, Ingram 3 for 47 on 4, so 13 targets to the running backs last night uh, for the Saints. Willie Sneed Almost pulled in a TD pass, but he dropped it. Four for 33 on five targets. Brandon Cooks, seven for 42 on eight. And Kobe Fleener ended up scoring, I think, in the drive where Snead dropped that ball. Three for 17 and a score for Fleener. If Fleener didn't have a role, I would like Snead, Cooks, and Thomas even more than I already do. I think Fleener is only there to annoy us as owners of the receivers in the Saints' offense.
1: Uh, Just a a giant tease and very frustrating play, obviously. Uh, You know, the Panthers did play, as I said before, they played that kind of contained defense where they did Weren't letting anything get behind them over the top, and you notice that in the stats. Not many of you know the yards yards per catch averages are very good for these team. And the cooks obviously in PPR leagues did his job, you know, kind of weaving in and out, and you know, trying to get the seams with those catches and stuff. But yeah, obviously the the the, the difference um, in the red zone really really helped Fleener in that one because they were kind of just kind of press jamming everyone else. So Fleener muscled his way past there, and definitely he's kind of you know he's the John Coon of the Saints uh, pass catchers, I think, at this point.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a good way <laughs> to put it. Uh, at this point in the season, anything else from this game that really caught your eye, and anyone that really stood out in a good or, or bad sort of way?
1: It was almost that Ted Ginn explosion game that we see once a year. Uh, he came close to that first touchdown that Stewart actually plunged in. I believe Ginn was stopped at the one yard line. Uh, you know, he's had actually pretty decent involvement the last few weeks. He, you know, that was a case where I'm surprised that he's getting more involved than Greg Olson, which is kind of you know a bit, a bit uh, disheartening to most fantasy players. But I think that that kind of goes in line with Newton isn't really feeling comfortable in the pocket. He's not really taking the time to find Olsen because he can't really step into too many throws right now.
2: Yeah, Uh, again, I wonder how much health is a problem with Cam Newton right now and uh, if things are being underreported with regards to his ailments. Uh, Let's move on to some big injuries for Week 11. Doesn't seem like there's that many volume-wise, but they are very impactful. Rob Gronkowski, we're finding out, is out. He's not going to travel With the Patriots, Uh, he's not on the plane. I think the team is either leaving right now as we record this or they've already left. So according to uh, Ian Rappaport of NFL.com, Gronk is out against the 49ers. The interest in Martellus Bennett, of course, will be very high in DFS and season-long, too, where uh, where available or just as a starting option if he's been sitting uh, on the bench for anybody. Uh, Additionally, we talked about this, I think, earlier in the week, but... I don't really know if if tight end. Like, I've heard Scott Pianowski talking about it on the Yahoo pod. He, he thinks tight end is always deep enough where you feel okay going with somebody on the waiver wire. Like you can find a player that either because of their matchup or because somebody else ultimately be being down in their offense for a week, you find somebody who you feel okay about. I mean, do you feel that way about tight end? Because as a Gronk owner, I don't feel great about the options I've had to replace him at times when he's been out this year.
1: All right, I, I'm conflicting on that thing. I think DFS, obviously, it's so much easier that you can not have to pay for Gronk every we can find someone useful. I also see the case where you do want to have that obviously that big advantage when he does play, um, you know, over other tight ends who are less involved and are obviously less dangerous. But you know, I don't usually invest highly in positions that. Uh, that don't have really good replacement value on the waiver wire. As much as you want to say that there's alternative uh, guys on the waiver wire, there's you know not exactly any of that really meet Gronk's level. But I'm okay with kind of playing the matchups with that one. It's kind of the easiest position to play matchups with in fantasy football. It's only you know traditionally only one one uh, lineup spot you have to fill, so you can kind of cycle through that like you would say a defense. You know, so I, I find it much easier. To 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 take my chances with the luck with tight ends because it's only one spot to fill. Running backs, wide receivers, you do want more of that stability. I think I you know if it's like twelve team, fourteen team league, I'm comfortable with just kind of finding what's there at tight end and maybe just cycling through them. Gronk's you know obviously amazing player, uh, great great statistical foundation, but for my strategy of like team you know entire team fantasy uh, plan, it's kind of goes against my uh, thought process.
2: Just finding that owning Gronk this year is not as fun as it should be. And uh, I I will have fewer shares next year, almost, almost certainly. Uh, We'll we'll see what the price is, but I'd be shocked if I had him on four teams next year. I mean, I think one (laughs) or two will be ample when it comes to building a team around Gronk. Uh, Jeremy Macklin also banged up. He's been dealing with a groin injury. Officially, I don't think he has been ruled out. He didn't practice Wednesday. He didn't practice Thursday. Even if he does end up practicing Friday, if we find out he's on the field and he's active, do you actually trust him? It's a great matchup against Tampa Bay, but he had that game against I think it was San Diego two weeks ago, where he left really early, left after two or three snaps and, and was gone. I mean, do you do you think Macklin is going to be useful <laughs> this week if he does play?
1: I think if you're by strapped, you have to play him. Uh, Tampa the, the Buccaneers obviously a really good matchup for that, as you said, that you know, the, the cornerbacks for him. When you're, when you're seeing Brent Grimes as the number one in that sense, I think you kind of have to play your wide receivers against him at any point you have. But, you know, obviously we, sh- we saw Alex Smith be a lot comfortable with uh, Tyreek Hill last week and obviously Travis Kelsey still having an okay year even if he's not having the numbers to put it. So, I mean, Macklin might only get like five or six targets if they want to kind of ease him back into things. The snap count might even be, um, you know, kept low because if this game gets out of hand with Kansas City. Um, but, you know, wide receiver three, if you want to expect him to have that, Sure. Uh, and, like I said, if your personnel's you know a lot of you you have a lot of guys with an off week, I think you kind of have to throw him in there if he 's active, so just just you know don 't expect him to be an elite guy, but you know he 's a guy that you can just kind of throw in there
2: confirming that he did not practice on Friday, so well, at this go. point i don 't expect him to play at all. If they say he 's got a chance he 's a game time decision uh, official injury report from the chiefs to come momentarily, but don 't expect much from Jeremy Macklin uh, for this week uh, Jordan Matthews is a little bit banged up. I don't know if it's enough to where uh, the injury alone would lead me to avoid him, but he's also got a matchup against Seattle, and if you have a even a decent alternative in your season-long leagues, I just feel like sitting Matthews down probably makes a lot of sense.
1: Uh, I don't know. Um, obviously, the Seahawks, as you said, great cornerback play, but you know Matthews obviously plays mostly out of the slot, and I don't think Richard Sherman's going to follow him in this game, because uh, you know you mostly play size unless it's a really elite receiver. I don't think Matthews falls into that category, but you could also look at the other side if he's their only real legit weapon at, at wide receiver. Maybe if you count Zach Ertz or Darren Sproles as pass catchers, but maybe that's the one they really shut down with Sherman. And Kind of like Macklin in this one, you know, just that third wide receiver expectation there. But you know, I'm with you in the fact that. Uh, Carson Wentz probably is not going to be in much much of a, of a position to really have much success there. So Matthews might be his only go-to, or just you know, 10 catches from Darren Sproles in this game.
2: The Eagles are going to travel uh, with rookie wide receiver Paul Turner, uh, who's in the practice squad with them. In the event that Matthews' long flight could be a factor, uh, if he has a problem with his back come Sunday, they'll add Turner from the practice squad and, and let somebody go to make that happen. So maybe we'll know before the late afternoon kickoff if there's anything going on because a roster move would probably happen earlier in the day on Sunday or perhaps even on Saturday. So keep an eye out for that if you're a Jordan Matthews owner. Deshaun Jackson has been dealing with a shoulder injury, and I've seen him pop up on the waiver wire in some of the 10-team leagues out there. I mean, it's not a big surprise. He's been on the shelf uh, what seems like forever, and it has been a while. I mean, we've with Jackson, it's it's been been two full weeks because of a bye week, and he just hasn't been the same player when he's been on the field. I mean, we haven't seen a big game from him really since, like, week three against the Giants, mm-hmm. five for 96 in a TD. He hasn't yep. scored since then. Uh, his highest yardage total in a game in that span, 55. Uh, getting decent target volume a lot of times. I mean, seven nine eight and 7 in his last four before weeks 9 and 10, the bye and a game in week 10 that he didn't play in for against Minnesota, so... I, I kind of have a hard time writing off Deshaun Jackson if he's healthy enough to get back.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the targets do play to the fact that he's still involved, but you know, obviously last week maybe just the fact that he was just more so a decoy than anything else. And sometimes that's what you think about in a Kirk Cousins led offense. He does kind of more so favor the guys like Pierre Garcon, Jameson Crowder, obviously Jordan Reed, and now Vernon Davis becoming a little bit more of a of a secure target there. Maybe they just want to have Jackson on the field as a guy that if they happen to connect on a downfield pass great but they do want him on there just to open things up on on offense in general so you know the schedule coming up isn't really that great but he does face the Chicago Bears if he's active in week, week 16 that could be a really sneaky good play for him because they're terrible against wide receivers otherwise the schedule is very mediocre but yeah I th- if he's on the wire I'd probably look to pick him up if, if I'm really needing help there just you know there's a potential uh, you know boomer bust factor there that, that could really pay off
2: yeah, it's it's always it's always risky because it's not you know six catches eighty plus yards on a regular basis. But when Deshaun Jackson goes off, uh, it's often a game changing uh, sort of way that that really swings a head to head fantasy matchup and uh, tournaments for for daily. There's also quite a bit of appeal there. He's officially going to be a game time decision. But that game being a Sunday night game, you know you got to yeah. make sure you've got an option either in the Houston Oakland game and season long or someone else. Maybe Pierre Garcon or something like that you can fall back on if Jackson is inactive. I was worried about Larry Fitzgerald coming out of the Sunday night game. He had an MRI on Monday. They're just saying it's soreness in his knee. He was practicing on Thursday. He had a brace on his knee, but he was practicing nonetheless. I mean, do you look at Fitz and assume he's going to be just fine? And is he even possibly a sneaky play against the Minnesota defense that probably won't have Xavier Rhodes following him since Fitzgerald runs so many routes out of the slot?
1: Yeah, I, I think that Fitzgerald will play, but then going to have to deal with Terrence Newman, who's actually been one of the better cornerbacks this year. And Newman plays a slot a lot. So obviously Fitzgerald not really going to be able to escape that much. Uh, I, Rose is expected to play, I think. Right. So that's kind of. Keeps that balance moving between those two to cover fitzgerald uh i'm not really liking any of those cardinals receivers or really any offensive player in that Vikings Cardinals game. I think the the quarterback playing that one's really going to be kind of atrocious. Maybe you trust Stefan Biggs because I think the target volume will be there. Maybe you play Kyle Rudolph on the fact that he might sneak behind uh, that you know that, that secondary, but i don't know it's I'm not really holding much besides you know. Low wide receiver two, wide receiver three type numbers for Fitzgerald or Floyd or Nelson. I mean, it's 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 really always a crapshoot anyway each week with that receiver course. So Fitzgerald obviously being the safest, but I'm not getting too excited about it.
2: Officially now we just get some an update on Jeremy Macklin. He has he's been ruled out. He he will not play. Uh, so Tyreek Hill stock will continue to rise, especially in daily, but in season long too. I think if you're just scrambling for a Macklin replacement, Tyreek Hill. He's been carrying the ball a little bit. He's explosive. One of the fastest players in the league. Tyreek Hill, I think, is very interesting for this week with that matchup against Tampa Bay.
1: So fun to watch, and absolutely I agree with you.
2: Keep an eye on uh on the Chiefs so over the next couple of weeks, though. I think they're actually a better team than most people give them credit for. I mean their their offense is actually decent. I think it's a lot of it comes back to Alex Smith. Like nobody's wowed by Alex Smith. No one's blown away by what he can do. He's not asked to do as much as some of the quarterbacks that we get more excited about. And yet, the Chiefs play good defense. They're a really strong team at home. They run it well. And they've got quality pass catchers, even if they don't produce at the rate we expect them to. Macklin's had a down year. Uh, Kelsey has been disappointing more often than he's been able to meet expectations. This is a team that I think is actually sort of dangerous in January. I don't think they're anything close to like a New England caliber team. But I think they can at least go to the playoffs and win a game this year.
1: No, I'm with you. And you know, obviously, they surprised last year by winning those 10 straight. uh, You know, down the stretch last year, and I'm I'm not sure if he's actually going to be coming back. But Justin Houston is kind of lurking to return to that defense, which already has had some good pass rush from uh, D. Ford and Tom Bahali most of the year. And obviously, you know, the the playmakers in the secondary, Marcus Peters, Eric Berry, very dangerous on that side. I think that really helps their offense kind of dictate the pace of the game as well.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good point too. And by, yeah, Marcus Peters. I think people are, are coming around on on just how good he is at corner, but it's been uh, it's been kind of a long time coming. Uh, before we start diving into individual players we like on DraftKings, one thing I did this week, and I've, I've done this a few times before, I take all the lines for the games of the week. We talk about those on Thursday, and uh, the over unders, and I just calculate the implied scores for every team. And one extra thing I did this week is I started to. Uh, look at the prices on DraftKings for players by position on each of those teams and then calculate per dollar where the best value was for each player based on their team's implied score. And there's some flaws in that methodology. I'll I'll admit this right from the start. So it's not this perfect, fail-safe, amazing system, but it does highlight some players that are either going to be very chalky or perhaps just simply going to be uh, great values or poor values at the other end of the spectrum, too, uh, so it, it's a pretty interesting exercise. This week, the way it all breaks down, the Patriots are the biggest favorite on the board. They're 13-point favorites on the road in a game with an over-under of 51. So their, their implied <laughs> score is 32. The next closest team is the Colts, just below 28, 27 uh, and three-quarters points. So you get that because you get half over-unders and all that. It's just the way it works. So almost, uh, almost a four-and-a-half-point difference between the Colts and the Patriots as the first and second highest scoring team based on implied score this week, and I think the the way you have to look at it too, if you kind of go through the exercise of okay, well they're expected to score thirty two points in a game that is probably about a two touchdown game. Who's going to get the thirty two points? You know, it, it feels like Legarrette Blunt would be very useful in a game like this, and then you take the implied score. Uh, with the salary that blunt has on DraftKings and you see that the the points per dollar number is actually pretty low. Like he's he's mm-hmm. underpriced and he's in a spot where his team's gonna score a lot and he's probably going to be a big part of it.
1: Oh, absolutely. And um yeah that's that's really good research there. Uh the the thing is with that, I mean it, it, I think it, it was, it's funny with stuff like this. You always have to consider the timing of the scoring too. I mean, would the Patriots attack them by the by the air early and just let, you know let them run it out in the second half? Maybe Blunt won't be in the game at that point. But yeah, I mean, absolutely, the Patriots are kind of uh, you know, it's it's all about. Because they, they they obviously vary their their uh, scoring so much per week, and uh, that that's a case where you do kind of have to weigh, weigh with the likely way going to have those points, and Blunt's going to be that guy.
2: The other wrinkle then also is like, well, okay, so you look through and you see that you know, based on cost, that like Brady as an expensive quarterback, he's actually expected to deliver a lot, like the team based on total points for the team. So if you want to fade Blunt, which is could work. I mean, it could be Brady just throwing like crazy in the first half, and uh, you know, two or three passing TDs in the first half isn't out of the question. If that happens, then you got to look at the cheap pass catching options. And with Gronk down, Martellus Bennett at thirty seven hundred is immediately flagged as one of the cheapest players uh, for for a team that's expected to score a lot of points and a guy that's gonna have a meaningful role. Thirty seven hundred is a crazy little price on Bennett. I mean, there's a good chance he might be the most owned tight end on DraftKings this weekend.
1: Maybe the most owned player.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he might. Yeah, overall, he might be the most owned player. I mean, CJ uh I think, is going to be pretty high up on that list this week too. Uh, he's at forty two hundred. Uh, so I just thought it was kind of a, a fun exercise to go through and and see what really jumped out. And you know, dollar per dollar per point. Uh, if you're looking at it that way, Aaron Rodgers comes up as a poor value. Like you, you pay a crazy tax mm-hmm. for that. But again, these are not adjusted by position with respect to the team. So if you think about the way the Packers score points, Aaron Rodgers is more responsible uh, for his team's scoring output than the typical quarterback, and he might even be at the extreme end of that because the running game without Eddie Lacy hasn't really been there in recent weeks, right? So, yeah. Whereas if we were talking about Kirk Cousins, a team that's a little more balanced, you know, like his expected output with respect to what the team does is probably more indicative of like a like a normal team. But the Packers are at one end of the spectrum. And you might have a team that's more running back-centric. You know, like the Chiefs would probably be a good example of that. Where on the surface, Alex Smith looks like a great value. But you think about how they actually score their points, and he's actually not.
1: Yeah, you kind of have to delineate the method of scoring and then factor it into that way and percentage that out and you know, like you say, get the rate of conversion of points there to to really you know take this to the next level, which you know could be done. I mean, I I'm sure there's got to be a couple sites out there that do that, right? I mean, how how teams score or how teams give up points even too could be taken into
2: consideration with that. No doubt, and it, it's just the, it's one of those things that some people are already doing that research, some people are already using that information. It's not. It's not impossible to figure out, but I think if you pay attention to those details, it's going to help you find players that are cheaper than they should be and more expensive than they should be, and you're going to make better decisions. It's Uh it's inevitable. Um, And The tricky thing is, more information doesn't always lead you to make a better decision. Sometimes it makes worse decisions, but if you Uh use information carefully and understand how it's actually assembled and, and what's going into it, I think that's when you can actually start to do some good with it. You have to apply it correctly. You can't just blindly <laughs> be like, well, uh, Alex Smith is the uh, cheapest per dollars per a team point uh quarterback this week, so therefore I must have Alex Smith everywhere. Y- y- you'll lose. Like that's 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 more information for the worse in that case.
1: Yeah, I mean, paralysis by analysis. Analysis yeah, is very, you know, uh, very common in what we do, I think, is we do have so much information available. But you know, you can, maybe you can get some dialysis for that paralysis by analysis and make things a little better.
2: Yes, indeed. And uh, <laughs> I mean, like now that I've said this, too, Alex Smith will probably throw four TD passes this week, and somebody will win the Millionaire Maker uh, with Alex Smith because that's that's just how uh, these sorts of things tend to go. Uh, mm. But let's start taking a look position by position as we do every week and starting at quarterback, I I really don't mind Brady this week. And part of it is that I, I think it I'm not convinced that the Patriots script their game plan the way we want them to ever. I think last uh-huh. week was the kind of game where I would have thought like Garrett Blunt would have been able to score like once, but I, I certainly wasn't expecting that to be a massive game for for him. And and I think if you, you think about San Francisco You expect them to get blown out. Vegas expects them to get blown out. They hung around last week against Arizona. If they can just keep it close into the third quarter, there's no reason why, you know, Brady and Edelman or Brady and Bennett can't just go off and take advantage of a great matchup through the air that way.
1: No, yeah, I think you pegged it. I mean, Blunt does seem like very chalky, and it it seems like that, you know, Belichick does mess with fantasy players' heads in that sense of doing the opposite of the obvious. And, um, Brady's price this week, uh, I'm trying to pull up DraftKings. What was the, what was the price on that?
2: He's 7800 He's the most expensive quarterback, but yeah. he's not priced up all that ridiculously when you consider, again, the Patriots are expected to score 32 points,
3: mm-hmm.
2: f- four points more than the next closest team. If you adjusted the dollars based on the implied scores, I think the price he should be at is like 8300 or 8500 even.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be a very you know stackable quarterback because obviously Gronk being out. Maybe you do the Brady Bennett situation if you want to do that. But yeah, I mean, the Niners' defense is just as bad through the air. It just seems to be exaggerated that it's even worse obviously on the ground. And you know, the Patriots, like you said, they, they do kind of go against what's thought of them. And maybe it's a James White passing catch touchdown game, or if Deion Lewis actually gets involved this week, that sort of thing. So maybe that way they get the running backs involved, but it's through the air.
2: Yeah, so. it's it's kind of nasty because with with the the Bennett pricing you could stack Brady very easily. Normally you can't. Brady Gronk, it's really hard to do that. You can go cheap and and make it work. But this week in particular, it's perfect for it. And I think people are going to underestimate the possibility of the Patriots just blowing out San Francisco by throwing all over them first and then just running on them very late in the game.
1: Yeah, that's very, very palpable, uh, very possible, uh, you know, situation there and you know hoodie does like to be uh you know sadistic when it comes to uh playing after a loss like he had against the seahawks i think they might just let brady air it out for for sure this week to help him get his confidence back after that down week as well
2: all right let's talk about some other quarterbacks that we like uh going down the list a bit further uh roethlisberger on the road typically not a good play 7500 and it's the browns again kind of like the the brady thing maybe you get a lower ownership number than usual because of the road factor. Do or does the matchup against the Browns trump the struggles on the road?
1: Yes, the Browns have almost zero pass rush. I, I have no fear of playing Big Ben this week.
2: And normally on the road, I, I probably wouldn't bother in DFS. I, I would just look at him and say, that's eh, not worth it. But this could actually be a spot uh, where you want to do that. I uh, go a little further down, Marcus Mariota against Andrew Luck, actually one of the better quarterback matchups of the week. Mariota's only 6,700. He's been playing exceptionally well. I know we talked a lot about him last week. I don't trust that Colts defense at all to stop the Titans passing game.
1: No, not at all. Um, yeah, definitely definitely more so I trust him uh, than maybe an Aaron Rodgers type against the Redskins at 7,600. I think you know that that's the case where you do want to get a little bit of a discount there.
2: I look a little further down the list. Russell Wilson played really well against New England. He's at 6,100. I mean, what's your interest level there?
1: Uh, I, I, you know, at home against the the Eagles, very good, I think, to get, to, get that defense. But I think I've I think I mentioned this before. I, I think that Eagles defense is surprisingly quick, and I think that might be a case where Wilson might uh, not be able to escape them as much on the pass rush. So, I mean, I think he's priced down enough where it also kind of takes the game script into play where they might just run on them a lot. But I don't think the upside with Wilson is as big as some of the others. Um, And unfortunately, I don't think it's enough of a discount for me to really take advantage of that.
2: Dak at 6,000. I feel like we haven't talked a lot about Dak over the course of this year as a player we like on any given Sunday. Cowboys are pretty big favorites at home, so game flow should be favorable. Uh, Ravens are good against the run, but I don't expect that to matter. I think Dallas can run on anybody. Uh, Do you buy into Dak as a player who has taken some pretty big strides over the course of his rookie campaign. Do you like him at that price against Baltimore?
1: I think I like him better than I like Wilson at that price. Uh, you know, the, the Ravens are tough against the run, but as you said, you know, and as we've said, the, the Cowboys can run on anybody. Uh, Pres, you know, Prescott with, with Des back and Witten back, I think there's a lot there that to, to trust in him. And obviously, they've used Elliott in the passing game immensely, so you know, we've, we've seen how much that can improve his chances at, at getting more points. So, yeah, I, I think Prescott at that price intrigues me more than Wilson at that price. Jameis
2: at 5,900 at Arrowhead. No interest there. Garbage time might be there. I I don't want to risk it. Uh, But Kirk Cousins at 5,800 against the Packers. I mean, we saw what Mariota did to the Packers last week. and uh, Receivers have been going off against Green Bay all year. I still don't like the pass rush. They might get Clay Matthews back. They're expected to get Clay Matthews back for this week. But uh, Cousins at home has been pretty good. And on top of that, 5,800 is a really nice price for a player in one of the highest-scoring games of the week and one that's supposed to be close as well, so a lot of shootout potential Mm -hmm. uh, for Washington and Green Bay.
1: Yeah, Cousins is one of my favorite picks, so I agree with you.
2: Dalton at 5,700, not bad, probably going to fly under the radar. I would expect a much, much lower ownership number on Dalton than on Cousins. And the thing that I like about Dalton, the Bills, on a per-attempt basis— are one of the worst pass defenses in the league. Passing TDs, uh, the main reason why their are opposing uh, quarterback fantasy points allowed number is still low. They haven't allowed that many passing touchdowns, but they've been bad from an efficiency standpoint against the pass. So I think this is actually a nice spot for Andy Dalton with a home matchup against the Bills.
1: Uh, maybe I, I have A.J. Green having a good game. Maybe I for doing that. But I don't know. Something about that scares me. The, the Bengals' pass protection not very good, and the Bills' pass rush is actually one of the best in the league. I think they might even be leading the league in sacks. So that's one of those – we might be able to see an ugly Andy Dalton game from there. I don't know if that makes me not want to play A.J. Green because I think you can still get his regardless. But uh, I don't I, I don't like that Dalton uh, in comparison to even what I was talking about before with, uh, with Kirk Cousins. I'd rather have Cousins, I think, because there's too much that can go wrong, I think, along that Cincinnati offensive line.
2: Now, if you were going to go ultra-cheap at quarterback, I recommended stacking Jags a few weeks back. I think it was against Oakland. I, I, I don't want to recommend it again, but Bortles at 5,400 versus Alex Smith at 5,300. Bortles getting the Lions, Smith getting Tampa Bay at home, and then maybe Colin Kaepernick, garbage time galore, perhaps. He's played a little better these last couple of weeks as well. He's 5,200 in his home matchup against New England, Of those three, if you're going to go cheap at quarterback, which one are you the most comfortable with for this week? Uh,
1: I, I think I want to go to the most extreme and go Kaepernick just because obviously San Francisco, I think, is going to be either really throwing the ball heavily down the stretch and maybe, you know ultimate garbage-time points there, or they really call some Kaepernick rollouts and, you know, make, make him take advantage of New England that way. Because, you know, the linebacker player like Jamie Collins has been a bit, you know, erratic recently in terms of pass defense. So, you know, that that trade, I think, has opened them up to some susceptibility there. And I think Kaepernick could actually make a lot of profit at 5,200. I would say Bortles is probably second among those uh, just because I think that, you know, like you said, the Lions not very, um, you know, good on the defensive front in, in the pass. And maybe coming off a bye, they might be rested enough on offense that they – Get out to a big league in Jacksonville has to do more Blake Bortles garbage time so yeah I think I, I think Smith ranks third because I think do think Spencer Ware is gonna
2: have a nice game as well let's talk running backs and the most expensive player in terms of team points and his dollar cost is David Johnson but if you think about this the way the Cardinals and Vikings match up Minnesota's better against the pass than they are against the runs good defense overall I don't trust Carson Palmer I don't really like the receivers this week I do think Arizona wins on the road, even though they're underdogs and David Johnson has to play well for that to happen. And I feel like this could be one of those weeks where his ownership number slips a little bit.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean obviously the I don't think the the red fifth opponent rank next to him really accounts to how the Vikings have played lately. And I think I'm with you on this one. Like I said, I think it's gonna be a very low scoring game and Arizona will control the clock with David Johnson, who I think is matchup proof at this point. Um, you know, he'll touch the ball in whatever way twenty something times and do a lot of damage with it. Yeah, the Vikings, as you said, more vulnerable against the ground game. The Cardinals are what despite what the reputation says, they've been a running team the last year plus, you know, the last two seasons, they've been a running team. Uh so Johnson, I think, is actually kind of the the, the go against the grain expensive back if you don't want to pay up for Le'Veon Bell obviously against Cleveland which I think is you know a little bit too pricey for my taste this week and yeah Johnson I think I'm with you on that one that he can kind of get that you know perception of having a bad game and you can use that to your advantage.
2: I think the the wrestling match too with the dollars team points weight that you're seeing on Johnson I just don't believe the Vegas line in the Minnesota Arizona game is right I, I think that's part of the problem their implied scores 18 18- Point seven five. The Cardinals are expected to score fewer than twenty points this week. I don't see it. I see them scoring like twenty three or twenty four, and that would pull Johnson yeah. back into the pack. Absolutely, uh, Le'Veon Bell. It's a great setup for him. Uh, implied score twenty six and a half for the Steelers. I mean, dollar cost is similar to that of uh, Ajayi and, and and Murray based on team output. Salary wise, of course, Le'Veon Bell is the most expensive running back at eighty eight hundred. But it can work, I and mean, we're going to talk about a lot of cheap players over the course of this episode that will open up the salary necessary to build around a Bell or a Murray. I have no reservations about using either one of those guys, and I've talked about Zeke before. I'm good with paying up for one. I don't think you can really do more than that because I think you'd be too thin with some of those sleeper plays if you really loaded up with the you know thirty five hundred dollar guys and the four thousand dollar guys around two of those eight thousand dollar backs.
1: Yeah, I think I'd almost rather dip down to like maybe the six hundred types instead of going with the two eights or two sevens uh to kind of you know flip the thousand dollars here and there to kind of you know get a little bit more stability out of those mid range and lower
2: players. Yeah the two guys that kind of jump out for me if you want to go two more to two mid tier backs, mid tier, let's just say two non top tier backs, LaShawn McCoy is sixty nine hundred I think that's pretty good. Any yep. any path mm-hmm. for the Bills to score points goes through LaShawn McCoy seemingly. And Spencer oh, yeah. Ware. I mean Spencer Ware home against Tampa Bay. I the Bucks have been letting me down all season. The Chiefs run it pretty well against everybody. If they're protecting a lead, especially, I think we can see Ware push eighteen or twenty carries with relative ease.
1: Yeah, I said before. Obviously, uh, you know, where's the guy? I think of of the of the uh, Chiefs offense that's going to have the bigger week. So yeah, I agree with that. And I, you know, I'll throw in Theo Riddick at 5100 as well um, against against the Jaguars. If if Riddick obviously that questionable tag uh, turns into he's, that he's going to play. Uh, you know, Riddick was getting more of the carries, uh, you know, before the buy, and I think that the Jaguars obviously are vulnerable against the running uh, game as well, and that's that's a guy I I want to plug in at flex if I could as well.
2: Yeah, Blunt um, and and Riddick both are, are very affordable. Blunt 6,400, Riddick at 5,100, ideally suited for DraftKings with that full point PPR. Uh, C.J. Prosser, the question really is, play him or fade him? 4,200, extremely cheap, opens up salary for a lot of other possibilities. He fits well as a flex. He fits well as an RB2. It's a home matchup against Philly. Thomas Rawls is back, but they might bring Thomas Rawls along slowly. I think with ProSize, it makes more sense to play him than it does to fade him, even in the big GPPs.
1: I think he, I think this might be the last week that he might be that cheap, or the fact that he's cheaper than Rawls at this point. Uh, you know, I think ProSize is the more dynamic back, at, at least in in this version of an injured Thomas Rawls coming back late in the year. I think ProSize is going to be more to what the Seahawks like to do because they're a pass first team now, and ProSize will be on the field more, I think, than Rawls. And yeah, I, I just think this is the, if you're going to use ProSize, this is probably your last chance to get him at a really good price.
2: The other player that comes up um, when you when you look at the expected production for his team and his salary comes out really cheap is rob kelly he's 4400 it's a home matchup against green bay the packers have been good against the run so i see the case against it very clearly but as far as gpp differentiation points a guy that might not be heavily owned but could touch the ball a lot and find a td if somehow he finds two you'd be ecstatic with that at 4400
1: yeah, um, absolutely. It's a different running game, I think, with him back there than it was, obviously, Matt Jones and Chris Thompson, obviously, in the passing game does this thing. Kelly actually might be there, you know, give them a shot to really do a lot of damage on the interior uh, of that of that Packers defensive line, which obviously did very good. But I think that, you know, this Redskins balance, I think that might throw them for a loop. And yeah, I'm with you. Obviously, you want those, you know, the, the high 15 to 20 type of touches when you get to a price that low, that can be a really nice profit for you. And yeah, I'm with you on that one.
2: Anything else at running back that's really catching your eye this week, Tim?
1: Isaiah Crowell at 3,900. I know it seems like that, you know, we, we talk about the Steelers really mowing over Cleveland. They might have to pass more with Duke Johnson. But, you know, the Steelers have a really weak run defense, and I think that's one way that Cleveland can really control the game a little bit early on is to have Crowell really kind of attack the center of that. So, I mean, it's not obviously ideal for a full-point PPR, but Crowell's a nice, really, you know, against-the-grain type of GPP play for me. That's a, That's a really cheap price for a guy that's had a, you know, pretty decent underrated year.
2: Yeah, he's he's I mean he's not that involved in the passing game, but as long as the game stays relatively close, he should uh, get opportunities. And Duke Johnson, talk about disappointing players. I had pretty high expectations for Duke this year in Hugh Jackson's offense. Uh, let's move on to the wide receiver position. Talked about Macklin before. Tyreek Hill, 4500. As far as your number one receivers go this week. I think he's kind of that number one by default. I mean, Travis Kelsey, of course, will will get his, but Hill at 4,500 presents a problem, much like CJ Prosize. Is he so cheap where you can't bait him, or is he at the point where you actually would stay away because the Chiefs are so unreliable through the air?
1: Well, I mean, as you said before, Hill does a lot of damage on end-arounds and stuff like that, too. He's very versatile. Um, it, it's almost like in cash games, I think you have to play him to keep pace, Uh, and, you know, at least position yourself for for, for a decent amount of money. I could see him being obviously very popular uh, and, you know, obviously along the lines of uh, that that Bears receiver we'll talk about in a second, I guess. Uh, You know, it's a case where do you want to really keep the pace or do you want to really just kind of divert yourself? And maybe it'll be a Spencer Ware game and maybe it'll be a weird Chris Conley or Albert Wilson touchdown. I think maybe now that everyone's onto Hill, it might be a little bit counterproductive to actually rely on him in like, you know, in the Millie Maker, a big GPP.
2: Right, I think the game flow, the thing about pro size I like is the Seahawks are favored, and Mm -hmm. you can see them running the ball a lot. With the Chiefs, they might be running the ball a lot. I like Ware more than Hill as a relative play, even though Hill is a great value this week. So I don't fault you for playing him if you're going to play him. I think he does make a lot more sense in cash games, though, for for those reasons. Uh, Jeremy Curley could be a good spot for him with the blowout watch on in San Francisco. He's only 3,500 if you're looking for some cheap options there. Uh, as far as the expensive receivers, though, we usually start at the top, so we'll kind of focus on some of the top-end uh, top options. Antonio Brown is 9,500 this week. I don't think I can go that route. Beckham's 8,500 against the Bears. A.J. Green's 8,300 against Buffalo, and Mike Evans' is 8,100 against Kansas City. Are you using any of the big four this week?
1: I would consider Beckham the most out of that because the Bears' matchup is obviously a really good one for him. Um, I would even go down to T.Y. Hilton at 7,700 against the Jags. That That's actually kind of very really attractive to me
2: right now. Oh, yeah, Hilton, Hilton's got the the Titans in that home matchup. That, that has so much shootout potential written all over it. I think there's a lot to like uh, with Hilton. Des Bryant's really interesting to me at 7,200. We didn't talk about him in the injury segment, but I think he popped up on the injury report just here on Friday with a back injury, so we'll have to see... If that is a problem, come Sunday. But you look at Dez with respect; to the other top receivers feels like he's at least five to eight hundred dollars below his typical price. So I like that buying opportunity. Uh, Stephon Diggs coming off a huge game last week, seven thousand home matchup against Arizona. Make people fear the Arizona defense. Would you go against the grains and play Diggs?
1: I think Diggs actually might have the best matchup in terms of facing the Arizona cornerbacks. So because, like I said, he'll be able to move around and stuff like that. And I think Bradford really has no one else to trust but him and Kyle Rudolph. So, it, I mean, seven thousand is it's really kind of straddling the line of a really good uh, bargain there because he is kind of ranked, you know, above some of the other uh, you know mediocre medi- medium range plays that could actually be profitable. I I would say yes if I could arrange my lineup that correct way. I would almost probably have Allen Robinson against the the Lions at seventy four hundred a bit better.
2: Yeah, Allen Robinson's still pretty interesting to me. I, I think the Lions, even though they're six-and-a-half-point favorites, I'm not quite buying that. The Jags have wrecked me enough times. Rather than stack the Jags, I'm more inclined to just mix in Robinson as one of my three receivers and not have to rely on Blake Bortles. <laughs> Good call. Good call. Yeah, just just extract value through Allen Robinson as opposed to uh, trying to smash extra value out of Blake Bortles because it does not work. Uh, Devontae Adams getting priced up a bit more expensive than Randall Cobb, 6700 is your price on Devonte uh, Edelman at sixty three hundred is pretty interesting. Again, if you're if you're gonna fade, if you're gonna fade the the Garrett Blunt machine, which I, I think makes some sense from a like a pool odds perspective. Edelman with Bennett and then Brady is actually a pretty cheap stack this week.
1: Yeah, I mean we've been waiting for that Edelman game to come, and obviously the Niners secondary presents a really good opportunity for that. So maybe that's a case where they say it's a play action game to Blunt and Edelman. You know, gets a lot of yards after the catch against a really, really weak back of the secondary.
2: It's always the (laughs) one you least expect. Uh, Golden Tate, I think, is pretty interesting this week, Mm -hmm. too. 5,300 against the Jags. He's really overtaken Marvin Jones as the number one receiver, kind of going back to what we would have thought coming into the year. You know, like Marvin Jones kind of dominated in September. The roles have reversed since. With full point PPR especially, I think Tate is like great cash play, but even a good GPP play for this week, too.
1: Yeah, obviously, you know that that game's going to involve a lot of uh, that, that. Probably going to be a nice, uh, nice pile on points game, I think. And yet, as you said, Tate's kind of earned Matthew Stafford's trust. I think the bye week's even going to like you know cement that sort of factor.
2: Where do you stand on uh, Jamison Crowder? I mean, do you do you like him if Deshaun Jackson doesn't play? Jackson being a game time decision makes that very complicated on Sunday night. But fifty four hundred, uh, he's been able to do a lot, even in weeks where he's not getting a lot of targets. I mean, he's been pretty consistent. Packers' struggles again against opposing passing games are are well documented. Are you interested in Crowder at all this week?
1: I actually had him down as one of my you know, big uh, you know, GPP-type players this week. I think that you, know, you have D-Jackson, who's a deep threat. Garcon, who's just kind of like the chain-moving catcher. I think Crowder can do a nice mix of both. I think that's really what actually helps him stand out, in my mind, among those three receivers. He's kind of the, the, the better play, playmaker-slash-obviously-really-accurate-with-his-targets type of deal. He was actually at a high conversion rate last year in his targets. So, yeah, I think Crowder has a nice, uh, nice upside here against Green Bay like, for, the, for the reasons you just said.
2: Uh, Kenny Britt. Ordinarily, kind of interesting when he's cheap with Jared Goff. He's not. He's up to fifty-two hundred too. So I'm not going to do anything with Kenny Britt. But no, nope. rest in peace, Kenny Britt's value. We talked about Tyreek Hill earlier at forty-five hundred. Cameron Meredith at forty-one hundred. The other cheap receiver uh, getting a lot of attention this week, and perhaps rightfully so. Uh, Jay right. Cutler did not play well against the Bucks, and Jay Cutler was not throwing passes to Cameron Meredith when Meredith had back-to-back one-hundred-yard games earlier this season. In the absence of Elshon Jeffrey, with Cutler at quarterback, do you expect Meredith to see you know, seven, eight targets per game? Do you think he actually gets back to the double-digit numbers we saw a few weeks ago? Or do you think it's actually uh, just kind of a myth and that his, his production really hinged on his relationship with Ryan Hoyer?
1: I think it's more so the latter. I think he'll get you know upwards of eight to nine targets, but I don't think he's going to do much with them because the Giants, you know, they've been playing a little bit better on defense lately. And if he has to match up with Janoris Jenkins, that's a really tough matchup this year. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't see anything really good coming of that. If he can avoid him, maybe he'll get you know a nice double-digit PPR game. But I don't know. I, I'm just not. I'm not a huge fan of, of leaning on that. And especially, I think, as a lot of people will be all over that price. I think that you might be able to help yourself with, to divert a bit more from that. My guy, I kind of like that's a little bit more expensive than that is actually Corey Coleman. Uh, if, if he can, you know, suit up this week because uh, he's playing the the Steelers and that cornerback Artie Burns, who has the worst uh, last name for a cornerback and has played like that. I think the Browns will have to – you know, if they're going to have to throw a lot, that's a good, uh, you know, against the grain type of play there instead of Meredith, who everyone's going to be fawning over.
2: Yeah, Artie, Artie Burns, bad name for a corner. Kind of like bat, Bob Walk is a bad name for uh, for a pitcher. That's always one of the, the best ones for me. What's the worst sports name you can think of with respect to a player's sport <sighs> and position?
1: I think we might have named them. Uh, oh, God, that's, that's a good question. I think... Um the the Bob Walk one would have definitely come to mind for me. Uh oh, that's that's a good one. That's when we had th- that's when we had to think on and maybe come back for next
2: week. Yeah, he he might win. Let us know on Twitter. He's at uh, <sighs> you get the underscore right. It's Tim underscore Heaney.
1: Yeah. Uh huh.
2: All right. I'm at Derek Van Riper. No underscore. No middle fingers. Nothing like that. Just 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 my <laughs> name. Uh, anything else at receiver that that kind of catches your eye here this week, Tim?
1: Oh uh, no, Coleman was my other my other really deep one, and obviously the Tyree Kill one would have been. A secret if Macklin had not been out. So no, I think we can move on to the position that we might already have a
2: couple top guys at. Oh, one one more guy I should ask about: Percy Harvin's supposed to have a larger role with the Bills. He's only thirty three hundred. I hadn't thought about it, but he's really cheap, and they need somebody else to step up at receiver.
1: Maybe it's, maybe it's Charles Clay tight end instead who steps up.
2: Yeah, oh. I, I, that, that's where that's where my mind has been going all week but I had not seen the price on Harvin until just now. So now it's, now it's in my mind, yeah. and I don't, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't want to think about Percy Harvin going off and having an impact and making somebody a millionaire this week. That would be, be pretty bad in the grand scheme of things. Uh, let's move on to the tight end position. No Gronk this week. So Jordan Reed's your most expensive tight end at 5900 I mean, Martellus Bennett, like we said earlier, might be the most owned player on DraftKings this weekend at 3700 I like Jordan Reed a lot for for 5, for 5900 mm-hmm. I mean he didn't do much last week uh Delaney Walker just owned the Packers last week Packers have had a lot of trouble with tight ends I think this is a tremendous spot for Reed
1: Yeah I'm with you if you're spending up you have the money to spend on that the, the like I said the gap in price and like you said is just it, it really doesn't account for how equally good almost that Reed has been compared to Gronk it's, it, it's, it's there's a lot of cheap options this week but like you know as you said if you want to avoid the Martello's crowd Reed's the one to go with to spend up There's a couple other guys I like that are mediocre. Uh, Julius Thomas against the Lions at at, uh, 3,500 is a nice one. I think the the targets that Chicago wants to – that people want to give – for Chicago to Cameron Merritt, I think we're, a lot of them are going to go to Zach Miller, at least for this week, at 3800 uh, And C.J. Fyodorowicz at 3300 against the, the uh, Raiders, if you're playing you know, a game on Monday night, that's obviously not millie, millie Maker, but it's definitely a really good matchup for him as well.
2: Yeah, I, I think that, that's a good call. I think the other way you could go, if you have money to spend up, I really don't mind Delaney Walker again this week at 5700 So I think you can go after one of the top two Eiferts in play. Eric Ebron at forty one hundred is not bad. I like cheap options. You mentioned, you know, Miller, Julius Thomas. I think those guys can be uh, solid plays. Tight ends really not that bad this week from a DFS perspective. I, I think what I was mentioning earlier was really more geared towards season long and just you know looking around as a Gronk owner and trying to fill that spot. It's difficult. It's very mm-hmm. difficult to do that on the fly. Defenses this week. Uh, as soon as the Jared Goff announcement came down, the reaction from DFS Twitter was cool. Dolphins defense. Um, I mean, they're going to be heavily owned, but any other defenses that you really like this week?
1: I don't know. I, I think that might be surprising how ineffective Miami be, uh, becomes against uh, the Rams here, because it might be a Todd Gurley game that he goes off. Uh, the Cowboys against Joe Flacco is a pretty good one, even with the injuries they have. You know, in, in the secondary, I think that they can get to Flacco pretty well up front. You know, maybe maybe go against the Gray and play the Jaguars at at, at twenty four hundred against against Detroit. Um, Buffalo against Andy Dalton, as I said before, twenty seven hundred. I think I kind of like that one the most because you know that, that's a good sack defense that might even make up for if they give up a lot of points against Dalton. And you know we've seen Andy Dalton at his worst. That's one game that really intrigues me in that sense.
2: Yeah, Patriots and Steelers as more expensive defenses will probably garner some interest. I think the Giants uh, home against Jay Cutler is mm-hmm. pretty good. Maybe the Chiefs even home against Jameis will be. Uh, somewhat low owned, but they can they can do damage. James will make his share of mistakes, and the KC defense is an opportunistic one. I think they're capable of of uh, really taking advantage of that. All right, Tim. Well, uh, what do you got going on this weekend? You got anything good in the fridge, or any any places you're, you're headed out to?
1: Um, I'll, I'll not really heading out to much places. I don't think just kind of you know resting up before the big Thanksgiving holiday next week, and you know watching my Cowboys. And we got one beer in the fridge though, Goose Island Juliet. Um, very interesting um, situation going with that one. It's kind of like a you know more of a mal- like a I'm trying to think of a framboise type of beer, you know nine percentage type of deal. It's you know very fruity, but definitely a nice little winish type of deal. That that um, gonna <laughs> see if I can, uh, you know, see what I can get some notes on it for you next week. What about you?
2: Yeah, I haven't had Juliet. I've I've had the um, I've had Sophie and mm-hmm. what's the what's the other one that they haven't.
1: Matilde. Yeah, Matilda. Matilda, yeah, Matilda, yeah,
2: Matilda, yeah. Those, those are both good. So mm-hmm. imagine the Juliet's a good pull as well. Uh, if, if I kick this cold and actually can drink again, there's a a, a work function uh, for my wife that is happening on Sunday during football, mm-hmm. which late afternoon, so that's good. And usually, the beer selection with her coworkers is very good, so I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, I could try some new things. I'll probably swing by. Carbon Four in Madison and pick up a growler or two. I think they've got a double IPA uh, on tap right now. So get something really fresh from just down the road and and bring that over to the party on Sunday. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. Have a great weekend. Nick and I are back with you on Monday.